Uh, turn with me to James chapter 4. Uh, we're closing out chapter 4 today. We're just going to take a few verses at the end of chapter 4. Um, and then we got one, one chapter left in the book of James, and then we're, we're off on to something else. So I can't believe how quick um, the book of James has been. But I know that for me, um, I'm more of a, of a guy that, that tends to gravitate towards theology um, and kind of the big picture of, of who God is and what he's like and uh, how he interacts with us. Uh, I'm not so much a practical guy. Um, and this is, I have benefited so much um, as the guy, um, you know, put, put my nose to the book in this thing. Um, and I know that Chad would probably say the same thing. There's so many ways that I've had to look at myself and examine myself, um, not, um, not to try to do better, try harder for God, um, but just to, um, because I want to um, please him, I want to be closer to him, I want a closer walk with him, I want to be more effective in my life with the people around me, um, and, and James really is doing that, you know, it's speaking towards Christian conduct, and it's not just so that we can have a set of rules on us, a bunch of rocks in our, in our bag to carry around uh, in this life, um, but, but it's truly those things are written um, for our blessing for the joy, um, so that as we go through life and we walk in these things, our, our joy is full in walking in the will of God and God's best for us. Um, and I've always looked at that wrong. I've always looked at it as God's trying to kill our joy by giving us all these rules and regulations when he's actually doing the exact opposite. He's trying to actually give us um, real joy, um, abundant life. Um, when we walk in these things that um, he's given us. And, and, and James just does that really well. So we're going to close this out here uh, in four. Um, we're going to take 13 to 17, which says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We're going to go ahead and just continue in the analogy that we've been using the last few weeks of lanes, okay? Uh, there's a right lane that the children of God uh, are to drive in, and if we're in that right lane, we're going to see the signs on the side of the road um, saying certain things to let us know that we're in the right lane, and if we're in the wrong lane, um, kind of the old man or the flesh uh, or the world, um, there's going to be signs that let us know that we're in the, the wrong lane. And uh, the signs that we're going to look at to determine which lane we're driving in today with what James is talking about, it, 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 the signs will say self-sovereignty, or God's sovereignty, um, guess which lane is the wrong one? <laughs> yeah, um, you get a point for that. Um, and we'll come back to the word sovereignty a little bit later, but this is basically the beginning of a long address, what we're starting in today at the end of four, to the financially well-off, which will carry into chapter five, and the business-minded, the entrepreneur, among us. Um, how do we come to this conclusion? Well, we read in verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. This tells us basically 
uh, two things. Um, one, that the people James is addressing are apparently fairly wealthy, business-minded people. And we get that because they are being able to say uh, spontaneously in the moment on a whim, hey, how about if we go over here? Or how about if we go over here and spend a certain amount of time? Uh, poor people uh, cannot do that now, and they could not do that then. You had to have the means to be able to make such a spur-of-the-moment decision and then go carry that out. So these people were probably financially well-off, and then we know that they were uh, entrepreneurial or at least business-minded because uh, James says that there uh, in 13, uh, that they can trade and, and make a profit while they're there. So they're business-minded. That, that would be the purpose behind uh, why they're going to do what they're doing. The second thing that verse 13 tells us is because of their financial ex- uh, success, they're able to live with a good amount of individual freedom. Individual freedom. They're able to go where they want, when they want, right? And I know that a lot of us live that way too. Um, In America, we don't have to be completely uh, wealthy uh, to be able to, you know, have a lot of freedoms and a lot of independence as far as our decision-making and where we go and when we go and how we go. Um, And and what we see right away uh, going on here, what James is addressing, is that these people that he's talking to are living under a presumption of self-sovereignty. Self-sovereignty. However, even though James seems to be directly addressing the entrepreneur and the financially fit among them, the principle that is being fought for here is not limited to people who are well-off. It is not limited to people who own businesses. What's being addressed applies very much to every single one of us today in this room, rich or poor, here and now in our lives. Because the challenge being addressed in these verses this morning isn't a calling out of someone being financially fit, but rather a calling out of a posture of independence from God and others, which seems to accompany being financially fit. Little to restrain us from doing or going where we want to. What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of you, I'm sure, will understand this, but um, me and my wife, for most of our marriage, um, most of our years have been extremely poor. Um, Most uh, most months we didn't know, uh, things just didn't pencil out. We had no idea where the money was going to come from, how the mortgage was going to get paid, and somehow God would constantly carry us. We lived in a state of complete um, restraint. <laughs> there, there wasn't a lot of choices that we could make, right? So when, when we would take a night to go out to eat together, like a date night, it wasn't like, oh, should we, where, where should we go? What do you feel like? You want to go to the Pine Tavern? You want to go to, no, it was like, do you want to go to McDonald's or do you want to go to McDonald's? Because like, that's all that I think we have money for. You know what I mean? Vacations were the same way. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to like, you know, go to Disneyland or Hawaii? Um, It was like, hey, we actually have a few days off to stay at home because that's what our vacations look like. Um, When we didn't have, uh, when we weren't financially off and have plenty of finances, it it, uh, automatically restrained and restricted the things that we were able to do, our options and our freedoms. You all with me? All right. So... um, But now that we're um, actually not totally financially pinched, uh, there's actually a little bit of relief in our life 
uh, in this area these days. Um, and of course, we're four kids lighter, uh, so that helps a little bit. Uh, we, we found that we have more freedoms. We have more options. We have more possibilities as far as what we want to do and how we want to do it and when we want to do it. And for the most part, there's not much restraining us from choosing this place over that place now for food. There's not a whole lot restraining us from this place over that place as far as going somewhere and enjoying a few days away, all right? We can now make plans um, to see things and to do things that we've always wanted to with little or no restraints. And because there's little or no restraints on us, allowing us to be more independent, we have also discovered that we've become less dependent on the Lord in our decision-making. We find ourselves presuming a lot to do what we want, when we want, how we want, without needing permission or approval or consideration from him. And herein lies the challenge. This is what James is speaking to this morning. This is the trap. And oftentimes, as we're going to see in this text, it's the sin. Now, I want to make this clear before we really get going on this, before we shift gears, all right? God allows and gives earthly blessings and freedom. He allows us to travel. He allows us to uh, do things that are pleasurable. Uh, he allows us the freedom to do and make business and business decisions uh, to prosper that way. Uh, we do not subscribe here at the door to a poverty gospel any more than we subscribe to a prosperity gospel. They're both completely erroneous and non-biblical. And I just want to say that before we start, all right? But none of the blessings and freedoms and pleasures in life are meant to be done and enjoyed apart from him. None of them. See, God is the gift giver. When you and I have the opportunity to go somewhere and enjoy it, it's God that's made that possible. When God brings something into your life, that you enjoy and you take pleasure in, God has made that possible. And it's really easy for us, rather than giving thanks and worshiping the gift giver, to get caught up in worshiping the gift. And we forget whose hand it is that delivers those things to us. As children of God, we ought never assume to do what we want, when we want, how we want, independent of considering him in every bit of it. Every bit of it. James wants to make sure to remind these guys and us of this by saying, you talk about going here and going there and doing this and doing that, but you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. You assume that you can do whatever you want. You plan as if you can do whatever you please, but can you really are you really that powerful? Are you really that in control? Are you that sovereign? Are you that certain in planning tomorrow when nobody can possibly know what tomorrow holds apart from the one who holds it? James goes on to say in 14, what's your life? Because James likes questions. We've seen that throughout this entire book. This dude's always asking him questions. He's always the rhetorical, all of them, but he's always wanting them to think. He's always personalizing everything he's saying to them. He says, what is your life, 14? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
I think this statement has two significant um, points of meaning for us. Number one, the most obvious being tomorrow's not guaranteed to us. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to any one of us. No matter what we do, no matter what you eat, no matter how well you take care of yourself, no matter how much you work out, it is not guaranteed to you. But we're really good at assuming that it is, aren't we? When I was a kid, and I mean a young kid, my mom would, every night, tuck me into bed, kneel down at the side of my bed, and say this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord, my soul he'll keep, if I die, before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul he'll take. And I remember thinking as a kid, I might die while I'm sleeping? Like what a horrible thing for a parent to like make the kid aware of before he goes to bed at night, before they turn off the light and exit the room. Like, I, like am I going to wake up in the morning? I might die. It's a weird thing to think about. But I have found that there was an awareness that was built into me as a result of that prayer. It wasn't just that I might mysteriously die, but it's that there is a dependence. That's what the prayer is meant to tell, to tell us. That's the message it's communicating when you pray that, is that there is something greater than you that holds your breath, that holds your life, that holds your days in his hand. That was what it taught me. I've had the unfortunate experience of burying a lot of my friends, and I'm sure a lot of you have too, that never even reached the age of 20. Kids. We were just kids. None of those were expected. They just happened without warning, without announcement, without preparation, gone. Here one day, business as usual, plans as usual, dead and gone in a moment making their life nothing more than a moment. But even if someone lives a full 80, 90, 100 years, my grandma lived to be 103. We used to just be amazed, and she had her brain too. She would still like whoop everybody in cars. 103. But even then, in the scope of eternity, it's nothing. It's a moment. I'll never forget Francis Chan. I don't know if you know who it is or not, but he got, there was this one skit that he did that just, completely just burned itself into my mind. And he got up onto the stage during the sermon when he's preaching on eternity. And he brought this rope with him. He goes off to the side of the stage and he grabs this rope. And this thing's long, it's, it's like 100 feet, right? And he drags this thing across the stage and out the other side of the stage so all you see is a rope going from one side to the other. And then he pulls out this roll of red tape and he breaks off a piece of this red tape and he picks that rope up in the middle and he wraps that piece of tape around the middle of the rope. And he says, this is your life in the scope of eternity. And when you start thinking about it like that, you realize that it is a vapor. It is a moment. It is a mist. There is a small amount of time um, that we have here. It's really short and the older you get, Quicker it goes. The more you know that to be true, right? For the child of God, knowing that God alone holds the keys to each one's life, days, and death is a humble reality that we can all benefit from if we're mindful of it. The second thing that this text tells us 
point of significance, I guess, in the statement, what is your life? It is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, is the implication that because we're children of God and life is short, it ought to be lived with purpose. It ought to be lived with purpose. In other words, we have a small window to be about the Father's business. What a shame it is for us to take that small amount of time to live in a state of exclusive self-indulgence. That's the philosophy of the world. That's what the world teaches us to do, right? 1 Corinthians 15, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Live fast, die young, get all you can while you can. This is what the world tells us. But what does the Bible tell us? tells us there's nothing greater than taking that time that God has gifted us with on earth for his glory, for his kingdom, for an eternal work, not a temporal work, that we get to be about his business, that we get to partner with him and even be used by him, his hands and his feet and his mouth, to do that which he is doing, that we're invited into that for such a small time is amazing but it's purposeful. It ought to be lived with purpose. In other words, we have a small window to be about the Father's business. If we have been born to God, by God, for God, and our window here on earth is short, does it not follow to reason that it should be lived with godly purpose? Is it not his? Are there not bigger things laid out before us to be concerned with than our own day-to-day plans and determinations? If we are aware and convinced of the brevity of our lives, will it not draw us toward a desire to live with purpose rather than frivolousness? I almost messed that up. I just looked at it and thought, should I even try pronouncing that in the state that I'm in right now? And it works. Therefore, as a result of knowing and believing that our life is short and numbered by God, verse 15, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Since we know that there is one who is over and above our lives and it is not us, should we not ask him for his permission in what we do? Should we not submit our plans and desires to him? Should we not invite him into all of it? This is one of the hardest things for for me to remember to do when I was a young Christian. I was getting off drugs and trying to learn how to follow the Lord. And uh, I'm not saying those are two different things. The one is you know, the reason the other one's able to happen. But I was kind of, I had someone come to me and say, you need to invite God into your life every day. The first thing you do when you get up in the morning, when you wake up, is you invite God into your day. This is the most important thing. And I could not remember to do it. Just wasn't habit. So I got this brilliant idea. And I went and got a tattoo so that every morning when I got up and I looked in the bathroom mirror and saw this thing, like, it would tip me off. And yes, it would have been easier to get, like, a sticky note and stick it on the bathroom mirror. But, you know, that's the way my brain works. It's like, oh, I know what I need to do, you know? And, and what's funny is it worked. And the whole point is that, um, that when I got up in the morning, the first and most important thing, the right way to equalize and begin the day, calibrate the day, was to make sure that I knew that there was a God and I'm not it. And I absolutely am in need of him every step of this day in front of me. Absolutely in need of him. All right? We need to invite God 
into our lives. It's only right that the one who has given us another breath and day to be consciously invited into what we do with that breath and that day. And the bottom line is this, or maybe better said, the danger is this. If we're too wrapped up in our own plans, we will miss God's plans. If we are too wrapped up in our own plans, we will miss God's plans. And I don't want to miss his plans anymore. I've spent most of my life asleep to what he's doing. And I don't want to be asleep anymore. I want to be fully awake, fully conscious of him in me and through me and around me. I want to be used by him. I want to leave an eternal mark on my life with who I am and what I do. James wants us to consider this. If we're too wrapped up in our own plans, we will miss God's plans. If we go about life as if it's ours, this is going to rub up against you a little bit, rubbed up against me this week, then we are apt to be completely oblivious to him in the midst of it. Yes, even if you go to church every Sunday. When we're concerned with sticking to the plan and making sure everything goes according to plan, we're apt to be oblivious to the divine plans of God in our daily life. This was um, a lesson taught to me once more a couple weeks ago, very recently, where I went down to do a job that we ruined. We didn't ruin it. I was strong. We did a chimney install, and the inspector came out, and he found some problems with it, which basically... Um, um, resulted in us having to pull and eat all that pipe and put different pipe in for this dude, which is not cheap. I got up that morning because, number one, I don't want to go do chimneys anymore. That's what we hired three boys to go do, right? So on those mornings, I'm always waking up just a jerk, okay? Anyway, but this time, this day, I'm a double jerk because, like, I know that I'm going to do this job where we're eating hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and I just don't want to go back there again. And this dude, he was patient with us. He's been waiting for weeks for us to come back and do this because the weather got funky and we needed to do some ceiling and, and stuff on his roof. So, so I got up that morning. I have a horrible attitude. And I'm going, this is what's going to happen. We're going to get there at this time. This is going to go like this. That's going to go like that. And then I'm home by this time and off to doing my thing. So, I, so I've already got my day planned out, right? So we load the van up, we get down there to this place, we start going to town, everything's fine. We open up a box of this pipe and find that it's bashed in because we had it shipped to us from Chicago, right? It can't be used. And we're down here out in the stinking woods in Lapine. I don't have a distributor down here. And this is not normal pipe, all right? And I'm going, great, here we, here we go. This dude's already waited weeks. Um, what do I do now? This is, I've already got my day planned out. And this isn't the way it's supposed to go. And I just told him, like, out of desperation, dude, I'm going to run to Ace Hardware in Lapine. And once in a while, like, those, those people will stock something that um, just doesn't make any sense. And so that, that, I'm going to head over there. And if we can't, then we're going to have to go to Ben and get this and be back at, like, 5 tonight. Like, like, there goes the whole day. Everything's ruined, if I can even get it in Ben. So we go to Ace. 
getting carried away on this. I, we get to Ace, me and my son. We go to the stove aisle, we look at the pipe, and um, they have everything except for this size. Everything except for this size. And so I start stomping her like, of course, you know, of, of course, you know, I'm talking to God, like, why not? You know what I mean? Like that. And we're walking through this place, and I look over, and here's this dude standing in this aisle that I have not seen in a year and a half that used to come to church. This dude was not really a believer. He's a super rough guy that moved here from somewhere else, and he started coming to the door about a year and a half, and he like really took to me, and we used to have a lot of meetings and theological discussions in a way I was getting to kind of disciple this guy. And there was a couple weird interactions. He had a really bad temper. I mean, the dude used to get thrown in jail pretty regularly for like road rage and stuff. So like he, he, was, he was heavy duty. And I always wondered about this guy. I always prayed for this guy. It was constantly on my heart because he ended up removing himself from church after some weird thing went on with someone else in the church. And he doesn't have a phone number on purpose. He doesn't carry a phone because he doesn't want anyone contacting him. And I'm constantly praying and thinking about this guy. How is this guy? Is he still alive? Is he still around? I look over and there he is. And you could see it on his face the second that he saw me in Ace Hardware. He just, he just teared up and you could just see his shoulders drop. He was like relief. He was like so happy to see me. We ran into each other. We reconnected and I got to encourage him in the Lord. And I got to encourage him to come back to church and encourage him to call me so that we can talk, so that we can hang out. And he's crying by the end of it. He's like, oh man, I, I need that. I, I miss you so much. And we walk out of Ace Hardware to go back and tell this dude, we ain't got a pipe for you. And I missed it. I missed it. My son tells me, as we're walking out, there's why your plans haven't worked out today. There's why your plans didn't work out today. Because you needed to see that dude right there. It had nothing to do with chimneys had nothing to do with this job that needs to be fixed. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. And it was like, bing. Thank you, son. Thank you, son. If we're too busy, if we're too wrapped up in our own plans, we are apt to miss his. And I don't want to miss his. And I don't want you to miss them. They're too precious they're too awesome. They're too over and above the planning that we can do. Amen? All right. Where James goes next is this, verse 16. As it is, he says, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Let's just read 17 with that too, which says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin, which is basically the conclusion of the point that James is making here. When we, again, presume upon the plans and the will of God with our own personal plans and will, it's not only susceptible to failure and disappointment, but it's also evil. When that kind of arrogance and that kind of boasting is involved, that we have the right to do that, that we have the right to be independently sovereign apart from the only one who's sovereign, that's arrogant. It's boastful. 
We are in sin when we go about determining our own plans for the day, for the week, for the year, for the holidays, without consulting the one who is the supreme planner of lives. He alone holds the divine day planner. So I, I need to like, I need to check with him. I need to be aware that he's aware. I need to be aware that he's purposeful, that he's got something brewing, that he's up to something. Every day, rather, it's big or small. I need to be aware of that. Changes the way I walk through the day. The conclusion of the lesson 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In other words, if we know that we haven't invited God into something and we're okay with doing so, we're off. We're off. Sin is not only found in what we do, I want you to notice. It's also found in what we fail to do. This is called the sin of omission. We have the sin of commission and the sin of omission. For example, just to make this really simple, I'm sure some of you already know this, Adam and Eve, right? Which one was guilty of eating, of being taken? Both of them in two different ways. See, Eve sinned in, in what she did. Adam sinned in what he failed to do, which was to take his wife and run. That's the sin of omission. He didn't do what he should have done, and it was sinful. And this is really the same type of sin that James is speaking to here. If we don't consciously, expectantly invite God into our plans and remain aware and conscious of God's plans over and above ours, we are off. If we knowingly, willingly tell Jesus to take a time out, we're off. If we tell ourselves that Jesus doesn't care or matter in our endeavor, if we go on as if God isn't mindful or interested in that which concerns us, we are in sin. Why? Because we're attempting to find and establish a life platform of independence that allows us sovereignty in something that isn't ours. Let's speak to sovereignty for a minute. You guys all probably know what sovereignty is. It's supreme power or authority. That means that there is no one or nothing higher on the ladder than that which is sovereign. There is nothing bigger, greater, more powerful, more authoritative. If there is something that cannot be missed, uh, if there is something that cannot be missed when we read our Bibles, it is this, that man makes plans inconsequential, even sinful, and God overrules it with his own plans. Praise God for that, right? This is one of the greatest comforts of the Christian ongoing is that we can't break this thing. That's what's so rad. I know that my salvation is real, sure, true, because I can't break what he has determined for me, which is glory. That God is only solely continually in control is a comfort to the Christian. 
We see this in places like Genesis 50:20, where Joseph, when he reflected on the evil that his brothers had done to him and selling him into slavery in Egypt, said to them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You know what that means? It means that God's plan withstood man's wickedness over and above. It's found in places like Acts 4, 27 through 28, where the believers affirm in prayer to God that when Pilate and Herod and the leaders of the Israelites put Jesus to death, they were doing, quote, whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. In other words, the worst thing ever devised and carried out in the history of the world was fully planned and purposed by God to bring about the greatest event in the history of the world. Could not be stopped. In fact, it was used. See, God's sovereignty is not just general. It's meticulous. It's meticulous. It's as meticulous as everything going wrong at a job and walking into an ace out of desperation to look for a piece of pipe. His sovereignty is not limited by our disobedience, but is very much alive and active in spite of our disobedience. I praise God for that one too. And it doesn't make me want to let grace abound. It doesn't make me want to take advantage of him because he's gonna do it anyway. It makes me wanna come in line with him. It makes me want to get under him. It makes me want to follow him. This means that there is no obstacle that can thwart the sovereignty of God. No obstacle. It means that the plans and purposes and determinations of that which he has determined cannot be overruled, overthrown, undermined by that which he has created, you and I. Everything that God has made is subject to him. We need to get that order right. And this is yet another reason why he's worthy to be feared, worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be praised, and trusted with our lives, guys. Every bit of them. It's the true conviction that he is God and we are not. Brothers and sisters, in light of all this, it is ridiculous. It would be ridiculous for us to think that we have the right to take the driver's seat of our plans and purposes, and life while offering him the backseat. And just know, if you do, that he's a better backseat driver than you are a front seat driver. What does all this add up to you? You and I are not above God. We are not equal with God. As children of God, we are not independent of God. And this is the heart of what James is teaching these people here. They are not sovereign. They are not independent of the one who is sovereign. They are his, and their life is his. And it's true of you and I, too. The bottom line is this. We have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20. What Paul's speaking of there in 1 Corinthians 6.20 is not just our souls that have been bought with a price, but our lives. Our lives have been bought with the precious blood of Christ, what we are now. The Holy Spirit is what's being spoken of, which is the birthmark of God to the sinful human being to say, you are now mine. It's God's claim on us, the Holy Spirit in us, 
testifying to us that we are his and he is ours. That our life is his. When we cry out to Jesus for salvation, we're not just acknowledging that we need him in the future. We're not just acknowledging that we need that golden ticket to get into heaven. We're acknowledging that we need him now. We're not just acknowledging when we cry out to Jesus that he is the king and the Lord over the kingdom to come, but the king and the Lord over the kingdom that we reside in right now. There is no area of our lives that are ours. No area. There is no area of our lives that he does not reside over or belong in. There are not categories in Christianity that are Christian and non-Christian. We are forever before him and everything that we do is forever before him and it's all his. No matter how insignificant you think it might be, God goes with you there. And it's his. What an encouragement to know that we have a God that is capable of taking care of us. Even our weaknesses, our weaknesses, our failures, the times we fall short in following him, he does not cease to be faithful. He's faithful to us. And here's what I really want you to know, and I believe this is what James is saying. God is always working, guys. I don't know about you, but there's times I've gone through days, weeks, periods of my life where I'm like, where is God? I don't even see him doing anything in my life. And it's a funny thing to say because I, 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 I know for certain, biblically, that if that's the case, it's not because he's gone somewhere, it's because I have. God's always working. He's always doing things. And he's always inviting us into what he's doing. And so I would encourage you, just like I encourage myself every day to invite God in and to make sure that I invite him into, that I get his permission, that I say, your will be done like we're taught here, like Jesus even taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth that is in heaven, in our lives. And that means that sometimes we're gonna have plans rearranged and we're gonna get, we're gonna get things thrown off. We're gonna have scripts rewritten, guys. But it's better. What God's doing is better than what you and I can plan and purpose to do. Lord, thank you for James. Thank you for um, just the, the level of practicality that he draws our attention to. I thank you for the way that this text um, has spoken to me this week as I've looked at it, as I've meditated on it and considered it, God. Um, I thank you that you're always inviting us back from our error um, to correction because you love us. And um, we thank you most of all for Christ, the only one who's ever perfectly followed your plans, submitted to your will, walked in and paid attention to everything that you were doing at every point and then was obedient to it, God. We thank you that he did that on our behalf. In his name we pray, amen.